greater the cross you bear, the greater the crown you wear. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sports for Champions podcast. Today I'm joined by Chris Bennett, hammer throw extraordinaire. How are you today? Good mate, good mate yourself. Very well, thank you. Really great to have you here. Um, so I'd like to start, if we could, uh, how are your preparations going for the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, they're going well. Uh, it's 35 days to go. Yep. Um, it'll be pretty busy. Um, I've got a world chance before that as well, so it adds in a little bit of a extra connotation to it so yeah it's good it's good fun but it's always nice to represent Scotland and we get a new kilt every time we go so made to measure so we can't it can't be Commonwealth Games that's awesome and how close to the world champs uh, the world champs are actually they start on the 15th of July in Oregon wow. so we fly out to Oregon on the 3rd of July hopefully if I'm selected and then we fly back on the 17th of July and I'm quite fortunate I don't compete till the end of the Commonwealth Games so we're on the start of the programme of the world champs and the end of the programme of Commonwealth Games so about time to recover from the travel. That's yeah, it's quite a quick turnaround. How would it be? Is so presumably it's just the look of the draw, basically. Where yeah. you get put. I think it, I think it's more uh, the timetable's out for world champs before the Commonwealth Games. Um, and we might be more fortunate because we've got qualifying and final scheduled at the minute Commonwealth Games, and we might only have a straight final, so we get an extra two days recovery. But it's literally just your luck of the draw. There can be some influence sometimes if people are wanting to double up in certain events, and then you're famous in a world record holder that makes some allowances for you. But for me, they probably won't do that. I, see. I can't throw my toys at the farm and protest. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to, but I can't. It'd be a fair throw if you did. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and where are you at in your stages in terms of preparation at the moment? So, yeah, we've got British Champs on Saturday in Manchester. So, 26, I think it is. Um, so, yeah, it's going well at the minute. I've got a shoulder injury at the minute that I need to get operated on. So, I'm trying to manage that, um, get injections on it, get physios every week. So... It's not been ideal prep, but um, you make the best of what you've got. It's never going to be playing Salem. You're an athlete, so you've got to make the best of what you've got. How do you accommodate an injury like that? Obviously, that's one of the most intense areas. Yeah, you've got to take a lot of stuff out of training. So there's a lot of stuff I would normally do at this period of training that I've got to take out. So I can't do any overhead things. I can't catch Olympic lifts. Um, I can't load my shoulder. Um, I subconsciously changed my throwing technique as well, which meant my distances were suffering in comp. So I've just had the injection on Friday. So touch wood, it's been all good and I'm not surviving off painkillers and anti-inflammatories anymore. That's crazy. Um, how much training are you doing at the moment? At the minute, not much. It, it, it sounds strange to getting closer to a competition that we're not doing much. Because I'm competing on Saturday, I've had two rest days this week, which was quite rare for me. Um, but normally we'll do five days five days a week. So we'll do Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off, or we'll go for a sauna or a steam room, although in this weather I don't think we need that at the minute because it's roasting. Um, and then Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday I'll train as well. So three times on a Monday, three times on a Tuesday, Wednesdays twice, Fridays twice, and Saturdays just once. So it's a pretty busy week for me. It's a lot, week. yeah. yeah. Um, is that all, is is it generally, without your injuries, would that be all throwing or would it be a lot of strength and conditioning? Both. So Monday, Tuesday I'll throw twice. So I'll throw in the morning, um, go home, have a nap, have some food, and then I'm back in the gym at four o'clock and then I'm throwing again after that. Uh, Tuesday's the same, although I'm running on a Tuesday and jumping on a Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday's throwing and lifting, Friday's throwing and lifting as well. So... A lot of weight is getting thrown about in the gym, but I can't really do much upper body at the minute, although we don't need it from my shoulder, so it's just been trying to adapt different things. I see, yeah. So obviously with uh, the strength and conditioning, you're really trying to target the areas that are under stress during that throw. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the mechanics of the throw itself and how you train for that? So, yeah, basically, in an ideal world, you would be six foot four and have the arm span of like 220, and I've not got that. So I've got to work on other areas of my throw. So my technique has to be... Um, on point so effectively you want to minimise as much time as you've got one foot on the ground as possible because we can't accelerate the hammer if you've got one foot on the ground you, we're constantly fighting gravity as well 
So it's trying to minimise the ground contact time with my right foot, but also trying to keep the hammer as far away from uh, me as possible, the centre of mass, which is my body, away from me at the times. But that doesn't mean having bad posture or good posture. It means being able to be in a strong position that you're able to work the ball and get that through that. So it's basically um, centrifugal force that, that does it, and it leaves my hand about 50 miles an hour. Wow. So it's pretty quick. And That's if it hit you, it would probably kill you. That's insane. So, yeah. obviously, to keep that under control, there's a lot of strength involved. Have, yeah. you, have you always been strong? Yeah, I've always been strong. I've always been naturally big as well. Like I usually used to drink three litres of milk a day, which is probably the size of it I am. I don't recommend it, by the way. Um, three litres of milk a day, yeah. So, I've always been big and strong. My dad was always big. Um, but I've had to work at it over the years to get stronger, but I tend not to lose it as much now. So, I don't have to do as much to maintain that strength level. And I probably could get stronger if I'd spent more time in the gym, but it's risk reward. I want to spend more time in the gym where I'm putting more my body under more stress that I don't need to have. So it's just maintaining that strength at the minute. Um, but I'm pretty strong, yeah, I'm pretty strong. So how old are you now? Thirty two. I'm getting to I'm getting I've got more hair on my face than I do on my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing my hair at the back. It's uh, I'm thirty two, so I've been doing the sport twenty years now. And it feels like I've been doing twenty years as well. Feeling every day of it. Feeling every day of it. Everything aches in the morning when I got up. It's sore. It's like what doesn't hurt today and you peel yourself out of bed, so <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's been tough, but I think I've probably got another four or five years left in the sport. Um, we're kind of coming into our prime now because this is the age that we tend to peak because it's a skill and it's a strength-based uh, strength sport. Your technique develops and your strength develops as the, the older you get. And because we don't have an impact, so it's not like running, rugby, football, you know, we're not making impact with the ground. We tend not to get many like serious injuries. If we do get a serious injury, it tends to be because we've done something either stupid or we've done something wrong in the technique. So touch wood, I've been quite fortunate apart from my shoulder, which was a freak accident. I fell on the ice. Um, yeah, I'm kind of coming at the peak of my career, but I think uh, when I retire, which is probably when I'm 36, so four years from now, um, I'll look back and I'll probably decide that I don't want to retire. I'll probably keep going. I'll still do it for fun because it'll be hard to step away from the sport. Um, so when you look back and you retire, what do you think? Obviously, you've still got a good few years left in you, but what up to now would you say has been your, your happiest memory in the sport? Probably two things. <laughs> Um, competing at a Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in my home city which, which was pretty cool um, how was that? oh crazy crazy the crowd go like for two, for two weeks it was just party central in Glasgow it's the best way to describe it and like Glasgow's such a welcoming city that it was nice to see it shown in such a good light I think there was a there was a stat over one weekend in Glasgow a million people used public transport we only have 600,000 people in Glasgow so it just shows the footfall that it brought into the city and it showed the city in such a good light and I thought I personally thought it was the best games ever but for me personally getting to compete at Hamden which is a football stadium turned into an athletic stadium was crazy you know uh, traditionally at major sporting events you only have half a crowd in the morning and it fills up at night we had 45,000 there every single day and they're clapping our warm up throws clapping us coming out it was crazy man and like just the social media buzz around it as well I'd never experienced it like people wanting tickets off you people wanting to come see you you know wishing you well and, and it was a, it was an amazing experience to be part of and it was a great experience and then it didn't go as well for me as I hoped it would so I had a tough 18 months in the lead up to it I'd lost my coach uh, sorry I'd lost my dad in 2012 and then I lost my coach six um, seven months later so I didn't have an ideal prep for it and I'm looking at it going in with a complete wrong attitude that you know I'm in the form of my life I'm going to go in and win a medal because these people wanted me to do well and I really wanted this and that and it never happened and I finished dead last so it was the happiest moment of my life but it was also one of the worst moments of my life as well but I then used that to spur me on to bigger better things to come out the back of it and go do you know what this is not how you're going to be remembered in the sport this is not going to be your crowning moment in the sport you're going to push on and go to bigger better things now for me that was going to another Commonwealth Games in Gold Coast because when I started I had no aspirations of ever going to Commonwealth Games 
Um, so that was kind of like the pinnacle for me at that moment and I ended up the disappointment of finishing dead last at Commonwealth Games two years later spurred me on to go to the Olympics when people said I wouldn't go which is ironically my second favourite moment in the Olympics which is yeah. pretty cool Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and going to the Olympics is such a buzz like when they say that there's been there's, there's 64 million people in Britain and you're part of a team of 300 people that's going to the Olympics you're part of a really really small percentage and there's only ever been 5,000 people from Great Britain that went to Olympics so it's a, it's a crazy thing to be a part of and just bringing all the countries together to compete for sport and you know putting all political issues aside putting all like everything the hardship aside and just competing about sport for those two weeks is such a it's such a humbling experience as well and the amount of free stuff and like the experience you get when you go to the olympics is, is crazy it's like the village is such a buzz you know the food halls 24 hours a day there's a mcdonald's that's there that's 24 hours a day and it's free and it's like all the athletes just go there when they finish competing and i remember there was a sign that said if you're ordering 30 items or more you have to go to a different queue so who goes to McDonald's and orders 30 items? That's insane. Uh, like people were going doing whole flat orders. But yeah, those are probably my two fondest memories. Um, and I hope there's more to come. I hope there's more to come. We've got, obviously got Birmingham this year. And then hopefully um, Gold, uh, not Gold Coast, um, Victoria in four years' time, which will be pretty cool as well. Um, obviously, the bit of a difference between Glasgow and the Gold Coast in terms yeah. of weather. How does that affect your performance? <laughs> Ironically, Glasgow was roasting hot that week. It was oh, roasting really? hot that week. We went to the opening ceremony, and it was thirty six degrees, and the bus had no aircon. And we're bearing in mind we're all wearing our kilts. And if you've ever worn a kilt, <laughs> it is full wool. It's a, a full on experience. Um, but Gold Coast was different level. Like we were up in Sunshine Coast for three weeks beforehand. You know, it's 32 degrees every day, there's not an ounce of rain, it, w- it was a sick experience being up there. Um, but it's very, very different, but even Rio was even different to Gold Coast, where it was 36 degrees and 80% humidity when we were competing. The humidity is the big yeah. thing, isn't it? it yeah. was so warm that the, the glue in my shoes started melting. Oh wow. It's cr- and that's 9 o'clock in the morning. So that wasn't a fun experience, but you've just got to deal with it and you've got to adapt beforehand. and you know, put yourself in that environment where you go out early enough so that you do adapt to the heat and you adapt to the time zone and you adapt to the to the different um, dynamics of that country as well. So you, you can't just rock up the day before. You can't just get on a plane today and compete in four days' time in Australia unless you fly business class. Like, we, we all fly economy to go there, so you can't do that. So you have to go plenty of time in advance and adjust to the climate. Um, how did you find Rio in general, the city, the village, all that kind of stuff? Uh, for me, it was it was quite it was quite sad and quite disappointing. And it's strange saying that because... I guess for us as Team GB athletes, it, the village was a good experience because um, when Team GB take over the tower block that we live in, they are sponsored by DFS, they furnish it, furnish it with nice things, you know, everything was finished, but uh, athletes were going into their accommodation and the plaster on the wall wasn't finished, you know, there was the, there was different things like that. The food was the food was undercooked at the start, so a lot of the athletes were getting food poisoning, getting sick and had to quarantine and and different things like that so they then overcooked the food which was a bit of a it was it was edible but it wasn't the nicest thing ever. but we had casual dining which was really good which was a barbecue there um, and just Brazil it was a really interesting place to go to because it's one of the only places I've been to that you can look one side of the street and you've got mansions and on the other side of the street so you've got favelas and the crime rate there is incredible we had a security briefing after our um, competing about going out and we weren't allowed to go out of the village basically because they were worried that somebody would get kidnapped and they said there's no such thing as a missing person inquiry here it goes straight to a homicide or a murder inquiry wow. and when you hear things like that you're like how can such a beautiful country be like that you know and it was it, like, for me it was was it the right venue to host it I don't know because a lot of the thing, a lot of the, the venues have now become disused and where was the legacy we talk about legacy after London we've got all these venues 
where's the legacy for real and did we really use it to line someone's pockets do you know what I mean um, but it, it was there it was an experience it was class you know we got to go to the Maracanã Stadium the Elder World Cup final 100,000 people at the closing ceremony it was pretty crazy you know Brazil won the Olympics when we were out there the, the, the football Neymar was playing and, and the buzz around the place when that goal went in was oh I honestly thought there was like a bomb or something went off because everybody just started screaming and shouting and then they realised Brazil were playing in the, the Olympic final and they won so yeah it's a really nice place to go uh, it's interesting you talk about legacy because I know that um, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow has actually had a real legacy and yeah. has, it's really changed things in the city. Can you tell us, uh, touch a little bit on that? Yeah, so so the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, Glasgow's quite, a, I would call it a working class city, typical industrial city, it was the second city of the empire, so it had a lot of shipbuilding, a lot of factories and things like that, and over the past 30, 40 years they've all closed down, you know, it was typical tenement, tenement blocks, you know, you've everyone's seen the photos of tenement blocks in Glasgow so they were all demolished and it was just kind of empty space that was left there so when the Commonwealth Games were coming to Glasgow and ironically when it was announced it was between um, Glasgow and Abuja and when I was what well, I was working in a sports shop at the time and I said I really would prefer to go to Abuja because I wanted to go to Nigeria I changed my opinion when I went to the Commonwealth Games and, and it was there in Glasgow but you know they built the athletes village and then 50% um, of it got sold off to private housing 50% of it went to social housing as well so it then went to people that were in need you know, they built so many good venues around the city. The east end of the city was done up and it looked amazing for the whole period that was there. Um, for instance, the track that was at Hamden was was ripped up and was laid at another two sports centres in Glasgow, or one in Glasgow, one in Grangewood, and it gave people the opportunity to train outside of there. So it was a great experience off the back of that, and there still is a legacy in sport, especially Scottish athletics. We had 56 athletes, I think, and it was no coincidence that two years later we had 18 athletes at the Olympics and the most we'd ever had was seven before that. There you go. That's the thing. And we've now got more and more people making GB teams. And that's and we've got people like making the world stage and making Olympic finals and a medal at the Olympics. So that is the legacy of Glasgow. At the end of the day, participation increased. And if you increase, increase participation, you increase performance as well. Because I like to think of it as a pyramid. The wider you make the base of your pyramid, the higher you make the peak of the pyramid and the, and the peak is the performance side of things so the, the level that I'm at and, and above that so the more participation we can get the higher the peak is in my eyes yeah it does seem it does seem to be getting stronger and stronger across the whole UK yeah just watching um, the football team would sort themselves out well, and qualify for, for the World Cup that's the only thing I think there's some there's a few bright sparks in there I think yeah. it'll be okay in the future um, so I was wondering when we talk legacy and participation do you remember what inspired you to first get into this kind of thing ironically it was the Commonwealth Games in Manchester in 2002 um, there was a big sort of buzz around it uh, it was um, I can't remember what the stadium was I know it's known as the Etihad now but I can't remember what it was called it's the old Ellen Road and I'd seen Hammer thrown on the TV um, Garrett won it English guy Mick Jones uh, won uh, had a skinhead you know he won it he threw it far screamed and shouting and then did a front flip at the, at the end of it and I was like pretty cool I'll try that Two weeks later, I was done at my local athletic track and I tried it. And I was quite good at it. I enjoyed it. I was good at it. You know, I could beat people at it. I started Sorry, training. Sorry, how old were you at that point? 12. 12. 12 wow. years old, so 20 years. Um, and I'd, I'd already started in athletics before that, but I'd seen Hammer and I was like, I wanted to try it because it was quite cool. And you know, this guy, you know, he's probably my size now. Um, he was just throwing things far and, you know, winning things in front of home crowd. I thought, I want to be part of that. And it's quite a cool story because if, if you fast forward 12 years, Later, when I went to twenty fourteen Commonwealth Games in a home a home city, he was my coach at twenty fourteen. It's funny how things work work out these ways, and you know what's we've got a saying that what's for you won't go by you, and um, that was one of those those cool moments that the man inspired me to take part in athletics was actually my coach in twenty fourteen. It's a pretty cool way it works out. 
That's brilliant. And uh, do you remember the first time that you sort of realised that you've got a real talent for this? Maybe an early competition or something? Yeah, I think when I was probably 14, I went down to the British Championships and I made the final and I'd only been training for two years, so I was quite happy with that. And then I'd always, I was maybe guilty of being talented, but a little bit lazy when I was younger. Um, I had a really pushy mum who really wanted me to do loads of things and didn't want me playing video games and PlayStation in the house, so she took me to every single sport that we could go to under the sun. You know, I did, I did football, I did rugby, I did um, tennis, badminton, trampoline, and orienteering. Like no trampolines were ever injured in the in the space of my trampoline career. <laughs> like nothing was broken, but I did everything. And then, but so I always had a broad base of sports. But then I, I fitted in in athletics and I fitted in in that social circle. So for me, it worked out perfectly. And then I was, but it was guilty of being a little bit lazy. And I had the choice to make: was I going to be someone who did this as a full time job, or someone who could, it was going to be just a hobby? You know what I mean? And after, when I got to the age of 19 and I'd, I'd just medalled at the British Championship, so the, for the first time, I was really quite happy about it. And I thought, you know what, this is for me now. It's funny you mentioned that. It's actually one of the biggest recurring themes that comes up in the podcast, the roles of talent and hard work. Yeah. How do you see them playing off against each other? I think talent gets you so far, but you have to put the hard yards in. Because you see it so many, so often. I've seen it in sports so many times. Kids that are very talented and a lot bigger than their peers, so they'll maybe be... 13, 14, they'll be the biggest in the class, they'll be have a full-scale beard at the age of 13. I see kids now and they've got a better beard than me and they're 13. And they're talented and they've got away because they have grown up at a rate faster to their peers. But that only gets you so far and that will get you to a certain stage. You then have to put the work in afterwards to be actually able to, to nurture that talent and actually, okay, talent gets you so far but then the hard work has to start at some point. Um, and do you remember the first moment when you realised, I'm going to take this professional? Yeah, so Commonwealth Games, I've speak a lot about Commonwealth Games. Um, in 2009, I had my 20th birthday um, and I went to Cardiff for a weekend, a weekend away with the boys. Um, hadn't trained in a week and I went on a, a weekend bender and I decided, you know what, I don't really know if this is for me, you know. Um, seems strange and, you know, my coach was pestering me, pestering me, pestering me and eventually after three weeks I went back and he said, you could be making a Commonwealth Games this year and you've messed up. You've messed up. So I trained the rest of that year through a personal best, through a four metre personal best, but it wasn't enough to qualify for Daily Commonwealth Games. And he never ever let me forget it that I should have been at Daily Commonwealth Games. And I thought, do you know what? It's easier if I just prove I'm wrong because then he shuts up and then he stops annoying me and he starts moaning at me. Um, so at that moment, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. And there's been so many times in my life when someone said, I can't do something. If somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to rub your face in it when I'm doing it. I, I like to do these sort of things. Um, so it was that moment where after Delhi Commonwealth Games I watched them on the TV was disappointed that I wasn't there and I came out and I threw three metres further on what the qualifying distance was for Delhi last year the year before and I threw the qualifying distance for Glasgow 2014 so for me that was kind of like the defining moment where I was like right okay you've justified your decision we've, we've all got <coughs> we've all got to find our motivation yeah um, is that something that you struggle with or do you, do you have a certain method of keeping yourself motivated I think I, I, I love being the underdog I love telling me when people think tell me I can't do something or I'm not going to qualify for something or I'm not going to throw a certain distance because I'm like okay you don't believe in me but I believe in myself and I'm going to prove you wrong. If somebody tells me I can do something I'm just like yeah I can probably do it you know I'm a, can be guilty of being a little bit like days ago a little bit laid back. I need people to tell me that I can't do things and I need to do something or or you'll never do this and you'll never like they told they told me the whole year I went to the Olympics I wasn't going and I wasn't good enough to go to the Olympics. Well I kind of messed up their plans because I went and won the Olympic trials and I made European champs final. And in my head, I wasn't going to, to Olympics. And they phoned me uh, two days after European champs and three weeks before the Olympics to tell them I was going to Olympics. And I was kind of like, yeah, I proved you wrong. 
That's I sat there with a smug, smug look on my face. That's brilliant. It's so good to hear. Um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, the series, The Last Dance. Love it. <laughs> so it kind of plays into that, doesn't it? So yeah. like, um, it might not be the biggest game of your career, but well, you've got to find that little kernel yeah. of you know a bit of now. I love that documentary. Like I love Michael Jordan. Like that era was the era that I was growing up in, and I, and I don't take a big interest in basketball, but I know I knew who Michael Jordan were, Scotty Pippen were, Dennis Rodman were, you know, people like that, and he was obsessed with being the best that he could be, and that's what you got to be as athletes. Yeah, and it's um, it's obviously it's not easy to maintain that over a whole career, especially unfunded. That's one of the biggest no, there's, and there's there's times where I've decided if I want, I don't want to do the sport anymore, and I take myself away. And I didn't get into this sport to make loads of money. I didn't get in this sport to be famous. It's you know those are byproducts. If those happen, that's great. I do it because I enjoy it. If I don't enjoy it, why am I doing it? Why am I wasting my time and I'm wasting other people's time if I don't enjoy it? So there have been times when I've struggled with my motivation. I've been like, do you know what? I'm going to remove myself from the situation. I'm not going to be in contact with the sport. I'm not going to do anything like this. And if I decide that I'm missing it and I want to go back, I'll go back. If I don't decide, then that's me. I'm finished. And that and I've I, I had a good career at that point. You know, I, I think this was 2018. I'd been to two Commonwealth Games. I'd been to Olympics. I'd achieved probably more than what most athletes could ever dream of. And I was in the best competition in the world. And I decided, do you know what? Is this for me or not? And it was for me, and I came back, you know. And then lockdown hit again, and I struggled. And you know, I took a full time job, working. Um, it wasn't easy. And again, I was falling in and out of love with training. You know, I was working five days a week, delivering shopping for Tesco, um, which is sometimes a harder workout than some of the training. If you're climbing, if you're carrying up hundred kilos of messages upstairs, you know about it. Um, but it's I decided to go part time, and then because I felt I was falling out of love with sport, I was overweight at the time. You know, I was struggling with my motivation. And that was June 2020. So by the end of June 2020 to the start or middle of August 2020, I lost 24 kilos. Wow. Because I was I, I was too I was too overweight, and I just decided, you know what? I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to do my session before I have my breakfast. I'm going to do my running before I have my breakfast. Then I'm going to go home, have my breakfast, train, then go to work and do the same thing every day. And I became obsessed with get. I got myself in a routine. The first week was hard to get myself into the routine, but once I got into the routine, it was easy getting up every morning. And when you started seeing the progress, it was easy to do. They say two weeks to get into a routine, yeah. and then it's harder to get out of it if, yeah. you, if you nail it to that. If you, it's, it's, it is hard changing your lifestyle from when you've been... Because like during, the, during the first part of lockdown, I've been staying up to like 4am, 5am, watching box sets, you know, re-watching Sons of Anarchy, Luther, Line of Duty, different things like that. And I struggled with a purpose, so that's why I actually went out and got a full-time job, because it gave me a purpose to go... I had to be up, had to be in work by 8 o'clock, or I had to be working at 9 o'clock. And it gave me that purpose and that structure. But it didn't give me the balance around training, which I needed to do. Um, so I needed to find that again. And I went to the British Champs in twenty in 2020, and I was in really good shape. I hadn't trained in a cage or a circle for a while. And it threw me a little bit, and I got beat at British Champs. And I've never been so angry with myself in all my life. I said, I'm starting back training on Monday. And the coach was like, no, you have a week off. I was like, no, I am starting back training on Monday. You're not. He's like, just take a week off. And I got back into training, and I was like, you know what? I'm never going to feel as bad as I did on that day. I had my best year ever last year. So it seemed to work for me. It worked for me. I think it's quite a common thing. Um, the pandemic really threw everyone. I yeah. know that all of our athletes really struggled because obviously the schools were shut, so yeah. we couldn't throw any events. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the role of sports for champions played in your career and how it helps our athletes? Yeah, it's been, it's been great for me. Like I came on board with sports for champions just ironically after I lost my funding. Uh, and for me, it's a chance for me to go and speak about my journey through sport and how it's influenced me through sport you know I didn't 
goes to university. I didn't go to college. I left school at sixteen. School told me I wouldn't amount to anything because I'd I'd left school at sixteen, and I've been to the Olympics. So I've got things on my CV that will shock people and won't have other people won't have them on their CV. I've got experiences in life, life events that will be on my CV that other athletes could only dream of. But that is my chance to go speak to one to to a group of kids in a school to empower them to potentially go reach their dreams and if I can have the influence on one person then I've had a good experience from that workshop and that's what we as athletes should be doing we want to give back to the communities and to the schools and give them a dream so that if they can meet an Olympian for one day then it's great but it also allows me to train full time because I can get funding from that as well so the support I've got from Sports for Champions has been invaluable for me I don't have to effectively work outside of this which is great for me um, it's so inspirational and having had the feedback from the teachers that I get on your visits the kids take so much from it um, I'd like to take us back a little bit uh, if we could um, could you tell us a little bit about your training regime and nutrition and how that kind yeah. of plays off with each other so training regime I spoke a little bit about in the podcast about how hard I train so I train five days a week sometimes three times a day sometimes two days a day sometimes one times a day uh, once a day sorry but what I will do is I'll take the week's training so I'll have it on a daily planner right and I'll use a traffic light system so uh, it'll be a green day an amber day and a red day so for me a green day is I've got three really hard sessions I can kind of eat what I want within reason as long as I'm getting enough nutrients and enough macros in to cover me and I'm essentially recovering amber for me is a day where I'm mindful of what I eat I can still have a little maybe like treat on the side but I can't go absolutely crazy so I'm trying to watch what I eat and that so I'll maybe change the source of my carbohydrates so instead of having like pasta potatoes rice <coughs> I'll change it to vegetables I'll have soup and different things like that and then a red day for me is a day where I am not training um I'm looking to cut a little, a little bit of calories because I don't need as much fuel for me as that day. I'm still a big guy. I still need fuel. Um, I'm still trying to drink three to four liters of water a day, but I'm mindful of my carbs. So my protein intake goes up and my carbohydrate content goes down. And essentially my fat content goes up as well because fat's a slow um, burning energy release. So it takes about eight hours for your body to break down. Um, I think it's actually longer to break down fat, whereas carbohydrates is four hours. So I don't need that quick sustained like energy source that I do in the morning. Um, so yeah that's kind of look what my nutrition looks like as such I'll tend to eat probably five or six times a day um, rather than having three big meals it's easier for me to eat the same amount of food over five to six meals and my, my body's constantly fueled and constantly um, not having to digest a big massive meal because you know what it's like when you eat a massive meal you just want to sit down and sleep but we can't do that when we're training we can't do that when we're training so it's maybe six meals that are spread across the day so that'll be uh, breakfast snack lunch snack dinner post um, a pre-bed snack as well um, and I'm always looking to get about 40 grams of protein into that so it's quite a high high protein diet I've got. Such a strict regime how would you say um, the life of the athlete compares to say somebody who just does a regular job? And <laughs> like well I don't have a social life during the summer I don't see my friends for months on end they're still my friends and I still catch up with them but I don't see them for months on end so I think since April I've had 12 days at home um, which is is not fun, but it's a it's part of the job, you know. It's one of the perks we get as athletes that we get to travel all these different countries and we don't get to spend much time at home. But 
you know, there's a trade-off for that as well. We don't get much time at home. So during the summer, I pretty much don't have a social life, um, which I tend to balance off quite well because during the winter, I tend to be a little bit more relaxed with my regime. I still have my set training times. I still have my set um, routine for training. But if I want to go out with my friends on a Friday night, I'll go out with my friends on a Friday night. I won't drink. I won't do anything. I won't do anything crazy. I'll drive there, drive home, be back in bed for a reasonable time. So it's about finding the balance. And one of the big things that I found was actually really good for me and my mental health was actually going to the football. So I go to football every week, but home, away, everywhere. So I go to Europe, we go to Europe with Celtic and everything like that, it's class. But that was one of the good things for my mental health because it was something that I couldn't influence for a couple of hours. That I could go watch, I could go shout my abuse, I could go cheer, I could do whatever. Can't influence it, sport, and it lets me switch off. And people around me know I'm an athlete, but they don't want to talk about me, the athlete, they want to talk about the football. So it actually takes the pressure off me a little bit mm. that we just want to go there and talk about football. Like we've got a, we've got a joke amongst my friends that they still call me unemployed. I'm unemployed technically, yeah. but I'm a full-time athlete, so it's a, it's a long outstanding joke, but I think you need that, I think as athletes we see a lot, we get a lot of criticism and a lot of praise, and, and the praise tends to outweigh the criticism, but you need people to keep you grounded and remember where you came from, and remember that you know I'm just a boy from a council house in Glasgow that's locked out and been in the Olympics. That's amazing. Um, so you talked about football home and away. Actually, Lazio away probably the best game. Oh man, I met Neil Lennon. I met Neil Lennon six six months ago, and I told him it was the best night of my life. Mate, it was it, it was amazing. It's right up there for me. The, oh, on the way to the stadium and the buses, everything, oh, the atmosphere was just crazy. It was mental. Like I don't think we'll experience an away win like that in a long time. Although, and then this last season was a disappointing. One we couldn't get in because of COVID, and two we lost the league, but. Ange Postacoglu is God, God in my eyes. I've got a statue of Ange up my, up my windowsill. I pray to every night. God, <laughs> oh, he's a brilliant man. Um, so that actually brings us on quite nicely to the next question. Who's your favourite sporting hero? Henrik Larsson. Right. Henrik Larsson. That, that man, he was... A, 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 originally, when I was growing up, I wanted to play up front for Celtic and I wanted to be Henrik Larsson. Well, I don't have dreadlocks. I'm not Swedish and I can't kick a football. So that was kind of... I was kind of only a loser with that past. But yeah, he was my idol growing up. And then more so as 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 like I come in, we've got like a lot a lot of boxing memorabilia around us here, like people like Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, my dog's named after Frank Bruno, like different things like that. So I've got a lot of admiration for boxers as well, and like Muhammad Ali, I think just the way he conducted himself, kind of in and around interviews, you know, the showmanship, but he always delivered and performed on the day. It's not how I would do it, but I've got to admire it, and you see that in Tyson Fury now. You know, it's it's pretty cool to watch. Do you feel that being an athlete makes you a better person? Yes. In what way? Um, it allows me to use my personality to help people, and I'm all about helping people. Um, and it allows me to share my experiences, the good and the bad. And if those experiences can help one person, then my job has been complete for that day. So, like the school visits, if I go in and, and have a kid speak to me about their mental health, because I'm really open about my mental health, I'll really speak about my downfalls and my good times. And, and have a kid speak to me about my mental health, they probably wouldn't speak to me about the teacher because. The teacher knows them and they can pre- they've got a pre-existing opinion of you and this was a big thing for me someone had a pre-existing opinion of me and i didn't want to change that opinion and just that one that i've had maybe four or five kids come up and speak to me in different schools about it and for me that's what it's about like if i can make a positive difference on a child's life then that's what being an athlete is about as opposed to actually performing there in my eyes personally that makes a greater a greater difference because if you perform well you do good at it if you change someone's life someone else does better at it um, and that leads us on also nicely. Do you have any advice to a young person who's maybe thinking about starting a career in sport? Take every opportunity that you're given. 
I used to say no to so many things and I've said yes to so many things to I've changed my opinion now and when I got to age of 21, 22 I started saying yes to everything because I didn't know whether it was for me or whether it wasn't whether it wasn't for me so if I take an opportunity I say yes to it and it works out I've won in the eyes I've, and you know I've gained something from that if I say yes to an opportunity and it doesn't work out I've not lost anything I've tried something it's not for me I can move on so take every opportunity that's thrown at you that's great advice and then do, would you have anything that's maybe hammer throw specific oh that's a good question actually find a good coach finding a good coach early makes a difference if you find a good coach early and they teach you the basics well then you'll go far in the sport uh, can you see yourself getting into that yeah I want to go to America one day and coach that's where the money's at that's yeah. where the money's at go to these colleges in the States and uh I think I want to do it a little bit differently to how they do it. They only see the athletes as, and this is just my nature. They only see the athletes as commodities for four years. But for me, is if I can, if I can make that athlete a better person and a better hammer thrower or thrower at the same time, then I've made a positive impact in their life, and that's what I'm all about. Awesome. So obviously, you've got British champs, world champs, Commonwealth Games coming up. So yeah, probably British champs this weekend. Um, I think by the time this goes out, I'll hopefully have won. Um, and then we got world champs in July Commonwealth Games at the end of July start of August and then we get European champs in Munich um, towards the middle of August so it's a pretty busy summer for us so it's going to be it's going to be pretty mental but it's good fun it's good fun I'm enjoying it wow is there one thing in particular you're looking forward to or maybe the people at home should look for look out for uh, I think probably the Commonwealth Games probably Commonwealth Games because that'll be on TV at a good time where people can watch it on BBC whereas the world champs will be on a little bit later because of the time difference in America so yeah World Champs, eh, World Champs, Commonwealth Games in uh, Birmingham uh, the last Thursday and the last Saturday is when I'll be on, so hopefully people can tune in and watch it. Brilliant. Well, we'll all be rooting for you in the office and we'll be sure to tune in. Thank you very much Appreciate for joining it. us today. Um, it's been great talking to you and I'm sure the folks at home will really enjoy the podcast. Hopefully. Brilliant. Cool. All right. Thank you all for joining us as well. Um, it's been another fantastic episode of the Sports for Champions podcast. Stay tuned, make sure you like, subscribe and keep an eye out for more in the very near future. Hi guys, hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, be sure to leave us a like and a subscribe and check out all our other videos for some more great interviews and content. Bye.